0: Hi, welcome to Lineage. I'm your host, Shani Jamila. On this show, I'm talking across generations with some of our most imaginative thinkers about how New York City impacts their work and how their work impacts the world. I'm thrilled to share the very first episodes of this podcast with you today, February 18th. This day is special. It's the birthday of two of my greatest influences, writers Toni Morrison and Audre Lorde. These are women who were fiercely devoted to using their crafts in service of truth-telling and spell-weaving and magic-making and justice. In their capable hands, we felt seen and cared for and championed and loved. May the stories that we share here honor the tradition of these remarkable women. Today, my guest is actress, director, and writer adapero Duye. We discuss the arc of her career, her upbringing in New York and Nigeria, and we also get a behind-the-scenes peek into the making of movies she's been in, like Pariah, 12 Years a Slave, and Ava DuVernay's When They See Us. Her theater credits include Denai play Eclipsed, and Fela, directed and choreographed by Bill T. Jones. But first, we take a deep dive into the impact of our beloved Toni Morrison. As it happened, this episode was recorded on the day that Miss Morrison passed away. Both of us were reeling from the news. Ordinarily, I have too much of that, That was that Tribe Called Quest where they were like, don't put the year in it because then you're going to date the song? You remember that song? Back in the day? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that was Tribe. Um, <laughs> ordinarily, I got too much Tribe in me to, to do this, but... Um, you know like we were just saying when you walked in um, Toni Morrison passed away today mm. and uh, when, that, when I received the news um, which was also through a text message mm. um, literally everything stopped and uh, I'm just thinking about the impact that she had on us and then I realized that you were coming over today and I was so happy for the divine timing of that moment, because um, one of the first times I saw you on stage was at an event celebrating Toni Morrison. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, I had a moment earlier where I just, I had to say out loud, I just need a moment. And I wasn't talking to anyone in particular, but I mm-hmm. just, I just, this just hit. And it hit in a way that just, is just reflective of how how much she's, yeah, just influenced and meant um so much to my life. And what was great about going on Instagram was like the timeline was flooded. Everybody was posting everybody. everybody and it and it just it's like um I'm just thankful that she was even here and that she gave us all this stuff. And
0: and we got to live in the time of Tony. Like, how amazing is that? To be able to be here while she was here and be able to, like, bear witness
1: to the things that she was responding to. Like, there will be no... Um, there'll be no confusion about who this woman was and what she was about. Oh, no, she was clear. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> like... Like, clear, clear, clear. Like, I'm watching videos on the subway, on Instagram. I'm just like... When she said,
0: um, Charlie, you're asking the wrong questions.
1: <laughs> did, you, did you see the video where she's... The woman is... This woman is saying to her, you know, well, basically, like, will there come a time when... When white people... White people will be central to your to your stories you
0: don't have
1: any idea how, how power- racist that
0: question
1: <laughs> but she is. said you don't have any idea how powerfully racist mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. again like clarity and class just like cuts right through. it's like not just racist but powerfully,
0: powerfully racist. racist yes you
1: know? and <laughs> I, I, yeah and so that's 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 who she was and that's there for everyone to see and be you know inspired by and um, you were in a production of The Bluest Eye once, yeah? I was, yeah. And of course, thinking about that, like, the first book that I read of hers was The Bluest Eye. And it was the first book that I'd ever read written by a black woman. And, um, you know, when people talk a lot about, like, you know, being seen and seeing things that, you know, made them feel seen. And today I realized that that was the first time that I felt like my child self was seen because I was mm-hmm. reading a book where, you know, that, you know, it was about this 11 year old girl. And so, yeah, to be able to do this, to be able to do that production of the bluest eye was (laughs) beyond the dream come true. And again, you know, it's just humbling how the universe just puts me in situations that I could never have planned. I could have never ever dreamed that that was something that was possible. And it like literally just, the opportunity fell in my lap, and I didn't. I didn't make waste of it. I like.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: prepared, and I was like, I want this, and uh, and it was one of the most, um, yeah, one of the most uh, profound creative experiences I've ever had. Yeah. So a few
0: years. How many years in between when you played in *The Bluest Eye* and when you had the opportunity to read with her in the audience?
1: Oh, that was. It was ten years ago. Well, yeah, yeah, ten years ago that I did the blue Tie, and so I did the, I did the reading like three years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, yeah, so quite some time, and uh, uh, I think I spoke on it. I don't know if I spoke on it that night, but and yeah, and that that particular production was profound in many re- in many ways, and the the woman who played my mother, Oni Faida Lampley, um, she had passed away from breast cancer, and um, I think maybe word got to her, and she, yeah. Um, so I'm sure if I got a chance to talk to Mama Tony at the time, she would recall that um, that production. But yeah, it was pretty crazy that I got to do that, <laughs> read uh, read her work in front of her and the fun, you know, in front of art. It was just yeah it was great
0: tell me about that moment like when you get on stage are you looking directly at her you
1: like I'm not gonna look at her I'm gonna look at everybody else like what did it no I made sure that I was like I'm going to find where she is sitting and I'm going to direct (laughs) I had words that I wanted to direct directly at her like it was not gonna be it wasn't like a general presentation of like so we are here (laughs) I was like no I was like mama Tony I was like you have no idea like it was. I was like, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell this woman how much she mm-hmm. means. Yeah, um, and it was. It was so surreal. It's crazy and crazy in all the best ways and surreal. And what was even crazier was that she read an excerpt. I don't know if you remember that night. She read an excerpt of the piece a book she was working, she's working on. on. Yeah. So she was like, Oh, can I read a piece that I'm working on? And Everyone was just like. yes, and the fact that she's like, work, she's like, at where she is in life, and Mm -hmm. she's still writing.
0: She would have been like 82, 83 at the time, yeah. Well, no, that was no, that was 80, 85, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And she was saying, you know, I think at the time she was saying, uh, you know, I hope I get to finish it, and everyone Mm -hmm. was like, yes, you will, yes, you will. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember that moment, yeah, and I just remember sitting there, just like that's what it's all about like I want to live a life where I never feel like I've done it all and it's Mm -hmm. done you know but that it it never is done until it's done done you know Mm -hmm. Um, particularly as a creative person like that's it was uh, it was very inspiring
0: Mm. so let's uh, let's go back I want to talk about your your young life (laughs) 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 this is your life (laughs) Uh, You grew up here in Brooklyn
1: I did, yeah, Sunset Mm -hmm. Park, Brooklyn Yeah.
0: Um, Tell me what your favorite childhood memories are
1: Hmm. Great question (laughs) I have a lot of siblings I'm one of seven and so there is no childhood memory or favorite childhood memory that can be without any combination of my siblings and it's just summer's just being at home and never feeling bored and we'd just come up with all kinds of games and we'd do fashion shows and we would do weird things like (laughs) like collect our like upcoming like new school supplies and we just like let's just break them out and let's just like gawk over our new stuff like it was like weird (laughs) stuff like you know like little weird stuff that kids do and um yeah, it's just being with my siblings and, you know, playing Monopoly. Um, yeah, those are just, those are like favorite. I mean, it's a, a collection um, of of memories. Those are like the best. Because um, I had a lot of fun with my siblings. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I um, I think about all the changes I've seen in Brooklyn just in the eight years that I've been here. Mm. But with a lifetime of memories here, I can mm. only begin to imagine... How does it feel living here now versus when you were coming up?
1: Yeah, it's weird because sometimes I, I wonder, are the changes that I see and feel, are is it that I feel those things because I'm an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. Seeing the shift, like there are like legit neighborhoods that were just like neighborhoods, mom and pop shops. And now I go and it's like a ship of like fancy designer stores and the people who live there don't live there. And it's all like you know the class is a different class of people that live there and that's different like that's that's never been a thing you know mm-hmm. in that area of brooklyn or the in any area of brooklyn you know per se so that's something that i know like okay no that's this is something new that's happening you know yeah it's just angering cuz it's just all about you know money and um which it which it goes hand in hand with race and who's worthy of care and thought and Yeah, I don't know. I I, I wish I could see what the city would be like in 10 years. Um, Like, fast forward and just kind of get a glimpse, maybe to prepare myself. I don't know, but... um... Yeah, but I, I, as much as I am uh, Nigerian, I'm very much a New Yorker. And I love New York. It's like, and it's like a place where I'm like, I'm not giving up on my city. I'm not going to leave here. <laughs> I'm not, you know, people are just like, oh, New York, I can't do it anymore. I just got to go. And it's like, no, like, right. like. Plant your flags, take your claim. What? You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's what's a really important. Like, you know, you know, you know, one day to like, just like own a piece of New York, like, that definitely is a next, uh, a next dream. Um, yeah, it's very important to me. Um, I'm not giving up in New York. (laughs) I love it too much.
0: Word. So, you're also Nigerian, as you just mentioned. Did you go back and forth between Nigeria and New York when you were a kid, or?
1: Yeah, so summer. So, part of, like, childhood memories, too, was just, like, you know, going to Nigeria for summers, and, like, like, literally, like, school ended, and the next day, we were on a plane, like, and then we didn't come back until like the day before school started. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, and then like just, yeah, just, you know, I remember the first time uh, I was born here, but my um, we're all dual citizens. And, but the first time I went, the first time I ever laid eyes on, um, on my country, I was in the plane and I remember looking out the window and just seeing like the red earth and the green of the trees. Mm. And I immediately was like, And I remember getting out of the plane and smelling like that particular, like, oh, Nigerian air. Well, Lagos, Lagos air, I guess. And I was like, I'm home. Like, I I always knew Nigeria is my home. Like, there wasn't, that wasn't a thing. But immediately when I got off that plane, I just, it was like, I'm home. (laughs) Like, and then, so then, and then just the summers of just like playing around and exploring and just like, Eating Nigerian food every day—I mean, which we we did in Brooklyn—but oh man, like the best, the best, the best. And then as I got older, you know, the times that I would go to Nigeria became far and in, in, in few. But uh, uh but definitely rectifying that now. <laughs> Happily, yes.
0: So it was important to your parents that you had very like pronounced childhood memories. Of- oh.
1: Very, I mean, my father was, it was the reason why we all are dual citizens and we all got our passports and he made sure that we went home. I mean, literally it was like, we grew up like just, it's like, oh, we're like Nigerians born in America. You know, like our house was like little Nigeria, like we ate the foods, like picture day, we all wore, you know, um traditional, you know, Nigerian clothes. Like there was no, you know, it was just like yeah, like, this is who we are, like, basically, don't, don't forget, like, this is, there is no, like, oh, we're here, and you're, like, gonna become lost, like, no, like, this is who we are, and so, very, very, very pointed, and he made sure, um, and I'm so thankful, um, so thankful for that, because I remember hearing about people who, whose parents hadn't been back to Nigeria in, like, 30-something years, and I just thought, that's so strange, because, I would never, my my, I, my parents always went, always, 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 and just to see, just to imagine that, like, they left the country, and then, like, they never went back, like, I just thought, oh, my God, like, that's so weird, you know, but, um, yeah, I'm so thankful for my parents for that. Um, Tell me the story of your your name. Are
0: you Ibo, Yoruba? Yoruba, yeah, Yoruba, okay. yeah, and yeah.
1: so my name, well, the correct pronunciation is Adikbaro, and it means, uh, uh, crown brings peace. Um,
0: now I see your Instagram handle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, crown peace. Crown peace. Pieces. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and crown I go back and forth. Yes, yeah.
0: Crown brings peace. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. That's such an interesting thing because I feel like when I think about royalty and monarchies, I often think about the war for them, mm. right? Like... How people associate that with power, and then they sh- they'll they'll do whatever it takes for mm. that power. So turning that on its head, mm. crown brings peace. Mm. What a beautiful.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Concept. Yeah, I I thank my parents. You know, usually you know when, specifically in my family, like I I asked my mom about like why they named this. You know, and so like depending what was going on at the time, you know, and what the kid kind of what the child kind of brings that determines. Or what was going on at the time kind of determines what, you know, what they, what they decided to name, or my dad, actually, because I think I, my dad picked all the names, I think. Really? Um, For all of the kids? I think so, yeah, if I, if I had to bet a whole <laughs> lot of money on it, yeah.
0: Um
1: And, uh yeah, and I like to think of it, I mean, that's a good point that you bring, When I think, and I think in the, like, definitely in the Eurobus sense, it's like, the, the thing, I never really thought about it, but. What came to me was it's like that innate like royalty that innate Mm. you know it's like the innate divinity like it just is you know what I mean like you know of course in the construct of where we are and all that stuff it's like when you feel like only a few people can be bestowed you Mm. know a a title such as royalty or a king or whatever you know you have to kind of like do whatever you need to do but
0: but then I'm also checking myself like that's an imperialist idea of what royalty looks like mm. and when I think about like who I consider regal mm. I think about Toni Morrison mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, or Felicia Rashad who mm-hmm. I just mentioned earlier or you know Sonia Sanchez mm. or like these women and Nancy Wilson mm. you know these women who kind of walk through the world with this sense of real
1: mm.
0: self-possession mm. Uh, Carmen de mm-hmm.
1: um
0: You know, these elders who, and there's a particular kind of elder, black woman in New York, Susan Taylor, Mm -hmm. uh, Adelaide Sanford. Mm -hmm. You know, these women who, I I call them like New York women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I aspire to it. They just sweep into a space Mm -hmm. and it's not arrogant. It's just effortless. Clear. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Clear. Yes. Clear. And when it's clear, when you're clear. Mm hmm it just is. There is no, you don't have to convince or there's there's no effort in it. It just is. You just you know mm-hmm. breeze in. Now I'm imagining like the 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 garments that you're <laughs> It's like you just like breeze in effortlessly, and it's just it's just it just is. Yeah, but I feel like that's all of us. You know, We're- if we get to you know the 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 fucked up thing and the angering thing is that you know <laughs> you know we spend a lifetime dealing with stuff that covers all that up covers that awareness up and if you're a black person that lives in America, you know depending on where you live or what your foundation is, there's a lot of stuff covering that 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 just like that that knowingness that just that 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 being and so. That's right you know uh yeah so yeah but it's in all of us
0: I think about um my uncle when you say that my uncle John O'Neill um was a co-founder of the Free Southern Theater he made Mm. his life as a a traveling actor whose work was in service of of human rights and civil rights and Mm. um who part of the country Well, he came up in Illinois Mm -hmm. Um, when he graduated from college. uh, He moved down south, um, went on to to Mississippi as a field director with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Mm -hmm. SNCC. Um, And it was there during Freedom Summer that he um, co-founded FST. And so they they would travel around the rural south um, doing these plays about race and justice. With the idea being that this is an organizing tool in the same way that a rally is or a brochure wow. is or whatever, but it's cultural organizing. And after they would do these plays, they would have community conversations with people to talk about the themes wow. in the plays and um, I love it. and organize. Mm. But one of the things that he would say um, is that there's a profound difference between a storyteller and a liar. Mm. That a liar is somebody who works to cover things over for their own benefit. And that a storyteller works to uncover things so that everybody uh, can can grow. Mm. And that's how and why he made his life as an actor, to wow. uncover things. Mm. Um, so I wonder about the impetus for your decision to, to create a life as a storyteller and as an actor. What was that initial moment for you and what what philosophy guides you?
1: Yeah, it's just, it's weird because it, it in the beginning, it, again, it's, oh, it's just humbling, like how my life got to the point where I'm sitting here and, you know, I was supposed to be a doctor. I was, I was, that was the path and... You know I, I, I wanted to become an actor before I think deep down subconsciously or way up high uh, you know like the higher being that's connected to me there are things that it I knew but it wasn't like super clear I just I was just moving with like I, I, I felt or I heard something and it was like okay I, I had to do it's like i was just going with like these impulses that felt so strong and I was like I could not ignore I could not um and it, it made it so that it, it, it there's no way that I, I could ignore it and so I was just moving I was just moving and um, I mean I was a child I was creative and you know again it's like the first time I ever did a play in school like I loved it so much, and it was a different kind of love than anything I ever, like, just like a, a, like a, just a pure enjoyment and excitement, like, I couldn't wait to do it, if I could do this, like, five hours every day, like, it was just, like, just, like, that was a feeling as a fifth grader that, I mean, I was a kid, like, a lot of things should be enjoyable, and they were, but it was, like, a different kind of thing, like, different kind of feeling, and so, and then... You know my first job, there's a program here in New York City called SYEP, Summer Youth Employment Program. And I was supposed to get a job at the hospital, but by chance I walked into the job fair and there was this organization called uh, Lifeline, well this organization called Center for Family Life that had this program called Lifelines and they were hiring teenagers to be improv actors and group workshop leaders. So basically using improv acting to like lead workshops to t- touch upon different subjects and stuff. So this woman asked me if I would like to sing, act, and dance and I was like, yeah, cuz at the time I'd been I'd really been into singing and I was like gospel choir in high school and and I was like, yeah. So she was like, "Oh, let me talk to you about what we're doing here." So I didn't know that she was an interviewer anyway. <laughs> I she, I got the job and I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know, I was on my way beelining to the hospital to get a job cuz that's what, you know, that's what you do when you're like, you know, it was going to be a doctor or and it was like the best summer ever like so my first job was was being an actor and at the time i i didn't and again it was like those feelings and you're just like wait this is something i remember coming home super tired and i like plopped out on the couch and my dad was like oh how was your first day? And i was like
0: it was awesome it was amazing (laughs) like you know and um you know and then
1: i i went to college pre-med blah 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 all that stuff and then my dad passed away suddenly and and no it's okay and it happened so suddenly and so fast and it just hit me that life was too short to do something you don't want to do Mm. and I just thought about my dad and everything that he you know was like working like living for the future like living and I was like life is too short you know and it was my first time dealing with um like a like a loss like that and and um, how old are you I was 19 at the time yeah and and I knew that I was not going to go to med school and I knew that I, I was doing it for him and that was just there was no way and I like long story short I, I took an acting class um, and the first day of class we went around introduced ourselves and I just blurted out I'm gonna be an actor not even knowing not knowing anything about what it meant or did i want to do broadway did i want i I didn't i just i just it just came out like i'm going to be an actor and so it's like weird things like that like where i just was like led you know and and you know there was that voice when i sat down one day like thinking okay man like my father died i know i'm not going to med school what is it that i want to do and it literally felt like a voice that literally just said "Ah, acting and i was like what like this is what and and i just went with it (laughs) How powerful <laughs> is that? Crazy! I went with it. And um, I, I graduated, finishing pre-med, and I I just... You
0: at Cornell, yeah?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I went to Cornell, and I finished. And then I heard someone tell me that, oh, backstage is where you get all the auditions. And, and I just started from there. Like, literally just started from there. And it was... And so... And it was like, a, from that point on, it was unfolding into okay, well, what kind of work do you want to do? What kind of... So my life since then was just like an unfolding of like discovering what kind of work. Like me kind of like meeting up to that. I think, again, like a larger part of me knew, um, but consciously I had to get to that point, if that makes sense. And so, um, yeah, and I thought I would go to, you know, I thought I would get an MFA because I thought that was the next logical step. But then I just, yeah, again, like... I was like, no, School of Hard Knocks, like, I want to just get in, I just want to do it. I just, I was just tired of, like, being in, like, competitive academic environment, and pre-med really just, like, burnt me out, and I was like, I just can't, I don't want to be in a competitive thing, and I don't, I don't want to be, it's going to sound weird, but I don't want to be, like, trained. I don't want to be, I just want to be free to, like, figure it out on my own, and, like, take things from different places. I mean, it wasn't easy, and I definitely was like, man, I should have just gone, and you know, but in hindsight the actor that I am now I really appreciate and I don't know if I would be the actor that I am now had I especially when I was younger like when you're just adults are telling you like this is how you should be and how you should talk and you know especially at the time like you know there was definitely like a few ways of being an actor and I definitely for many reasons were was not you know and I you know I feel like they would just try to you know, I just have to kind of conform to a lot of things.
0: And so. um, It's interesting. I feel that same way about my path as a visual artist. I wonder, had I gone the traditional route of BFA, MFA, you know, residencies, et cetera, as a teen and 20 something, would I have been trained away from the work that I've grown to do? I suspect I would have.
1: I think so. I know. I think I would have. I think I would have. And then it would have. How much time it would have taken for me to get back or find i mean there still was that because you know when you're young you're just learning about yourself and you're going to yourself as an adult what does it mean to be you know but um and i say that like
0: with all the respect for for school and for training but i feel like there's something different that occurs when you're working in an interior level to excavate your own voice you know and you're doing that in an informed way, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know that you've trained mm-hmm. with a number of, of acting coaches mm-hmm. who are who are very respected, and I'm sure, and I'd love for you to talk about, you know, who you were looking to to inform you as you mm-hmm. were in this process of development. But um, school doesn't necessarily take it away, but there is an imposition of a particular kind of aesthetic completely, um, that, you know just has to be reckoned with one way or the other yeah yeah
1: yeah and you you know you can take from it some people take to it and it, and it's helpful and it mm-hmm. like, um or you can take some of it and you or leave some of it but yeah i think there was just an instinctive thing like i just i didn't i i just didn't want to go down that, that route it would have been the easier route maybe i don't know um uh so yeah.
0: what did it look like for you when you left Ithaca and came directly back to New York? Is yeah. that what happened?
1: Yeah, came back came back to Brooklyn. And so yeah, I started going on auditions and I would just show up without like any of the proper materials. Like I would just show show up.
0: <laughs> I didn't have a headshot. I didn't have a resume.
1: Like I just I I, here. Yeah, like I am literally just like, Oh, okay, like my first audition I think was like <laughs> Was for like a open call for like rent at the Apollo, and so I just showed up and waited on this long ass line. But uh-huh. it was great because I got to meet a whole bunch of other actors and, you know, uh, and seeing people with their headshot. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I need like I had no sheet music. I just showed up with myself and like, I was like, I'm gonna sing a cappella. Like it was just the craziest thing ever. And um, and then you know, and then I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just take some classes like take like a continuing ed class at like NYU and I did that and and study with this man named Lee Michael Cohn and then like that led to me taking classes at like Atlantic Theater Company and then it was just like a like and then I would meet another actor and then you know oh and I started to study at HB Studios because I you know the classes were very affordable and then it's like oh Austin Pendleton is a teacher you should study with and you have to audition and um so i started thinking you had to
0: audition the, to get into the class
1: yeah you had to audition oh, to wow. get into this class and i liked that because i was like oh okay like they're not playing around like you know mm-hmm. um because i you, and that what's great about hp is that you can audit classes So i would audit one class and i was like you know there was like one class that i went to i was like this is not for me like and just instinctively i was like no this is not for me and so um taking m austin's class was great because the level of actors were like was just like no joke and I learned a lot from being around that and like it just stepped my game up and it was like a steam study class and he's such a like well of knowledge about theater and acting. So it was just he would just talk and I would just would write notes and it was it was so immersive to me in a in a way that maybe an M F A would have been, but it was definitely like just constructed my own construction and uh and then I found my way to uh Susan Batson, a black Nexus. Um and uh, yeah, and that was wonderful and amazing, and cracked me wide open, cracked me wide open. What was it about that that had that effect on you? Oh, man, like all the walls that I had up, like you know, I remember going into class one day, and I was like, "I don't cry in front of people <laughs> I mean, how like you know it's like, and the after that I you know that i want to be or wanted to be or you know aspire to be it's like that i mean what are you doing here like you know and so that was like that wall was broken down at black nexus like uh-huh. it was just like cracked open just vulnerable like you know series of exercises and because Susan Bassett was like was a black woman you know it was she had knowledge from a from a very specific point of view and um And just around all the other actors and so it was it was it was just great she allowed people to kind of like work off their classes and stuff and um
0: well wait i'm curious
1: so how did you do that was
0: it like for you is there an internal separation like it's not me crying it's my character crying or is there an integration like how how do you
1: at the time or now both that's a great question um well, I, I definitely don't, I'm definitely not thinking, I'm not the person now. was like, I don't cry in front of people. Like, it's the opposite. Like, I'll, you know, um, if I'm feeling things, I don't, I don't, I let them flow. Um, and so I don't know, I guess now it's just bringing as much as myself. I have to be as open as possible to, to the characters and to the work. And if I'm not open for whatever, then I don't know what I'm doing there. And so yeah and 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 that and that opening is the place of just complete freedom and also connection to this i don't know this larger thing like when you're in that space it's like you complete like giving up all control and it's freeing when you just trust in the work that you do but just also trust in that i don't know the energy of the stories that you're telling because these are about real people even if it's not based on anyone's real life, but people have lived these lives and experiences and these are real feelings. And so bringing myself as much as I can to that, its its it really is a requirement and I don't know how anyone can do it otherwise. And I mean, that's how I choose to do it or that's how the only way I know how to do it. Um, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about how Pariah... Happened. Hmm. Again, another like. <laughs> and just for the listeners, that's the 2011 movie directed by Dee Reese, yeah. um, where you played the the starring role.
1: Yeah, Algee Freeman. um Oh man, Pariah is like life changing. The gift that keeps giving. Just because it it changed my whole entire life in so many ways. Um, uh, Pariah was initially a was D's graduate thesis film um and it was the summer I was working my summer job at summer stage Central Park summer stage as a (laughs) concessions person and amazing yeah and usually the summertime is like that's like my money time and so that's where like auditions kind of take a back seat because I'm just like I gotta make money I can't be focused on whatever and so but I got an email one day. Well, you always get emails at the time, like with auditions and stuff, and I just don't. Sometimes I don't look at them because I'm just like I, I'm, you know, busy working. But
0: I, you signed up for listservs and
1: things. Yeah, right? yeah, all those things. Yeah, and um, and I got an email one day, and I looked through it, and this it was like a posting for um, for Pariah, and I just something about it just jumped out at me, and I just thought I really want to be a part of this. Like it just seems amazing. I just knew I had to be a part of it and I remember looking down the list of people and at the bottom it was they were looking for like auxiliary high school students. And I thought, Okay, maybe I could just be, you know, like be one of the high school students. Like literally I submitted myself to be an extra. Um, never thinking anything wow. beyond that. Like I just wanted to and then I remember I was at work, I got a call. I sent my headshot in and I got a call like really fast and asking me to come in to audition for the lead and I remember just being like (laughs) yeah I'll come in sure like just being so excited like what like and then I remember getting the material for the and I just the sides you know I just remember thinking I just knew I just knew who this person was like I, I knew who this person was and uh I remember I went in I brought my brother's little my little brother's clothes. I begged him. I was like, "Please!" He helped me put the outfit together, and uh, I went in, and I just and I remember just thinking, "I'm just gonna go in, and I'm just gonna like do my best and leave it there. I'm just gonna go in and enjoy myself, and just whatever it is, it is. If I do that, then I've you know. And yeah, um, I went in, and I did it, and they maybe called me back a few times, and then like the last time I went in, they told me that I I got it and. (laughs) <laughs> oh man um yeah it makes you cry every time because it's just like ah, uh, like I I remember exactly where I was and like just like feel like ah, uh, like it's like the thing that I've been wanting to do been working to do is like just the opportunity to sink my teeth into a role you know like uh, uh just sink my teeth and like you know, I remember, like, getting the schedule and, like, seeing I'm going to be on set every day. And I just was like, oh, it's like heaven. <laughs> like, just like, ah, uh, like, just the, it's just, uh, yeah, the best. Like, it's something I wanted to do. Like, and it was, and it was, it was a profound experience that alone, just because I was surrounded by such amazing artists. Like, that's where I met Bradford and and, and, and Pernell Walker, who played Laura, and it's like, and D and it was just, I was just like like all these like amazing artists who, you know, who just happened to be black and and it was just like to be steeped in that and um and then to be like tired but then knowing I the next day I get to go back to it was heaven, heaven, heaven on so many levels and um so D's intention was always to make a feature and uh and her intention was always to have me be to come back to play the role. But I was uh, versed enough to know that you know things change, you know whatever. I I'm, I'm just happy for this experience. I don't know, you know. And there's no guarantees. She was very clear, but um, yeah, and she made true to her word. And uh, it took maybe about three years, three years after I did the short to do the feature. Um, and actually, I, I was at where was that? No, yeah, yeah. To three years after the feature, I mean the short to do the feature and uh after a couple of start stops like we thought we were gonna go maybe a time before and then it, the money got went away and yeah I and I got the call I was like it's gonna happen and then do you remember what you were doing at the time yeah I was doing um I found out when I was doing eclipse at Yale rep um that's the deny deni Guerrero's play yeah yeah I saw that that was incredible yeah um, it's a pretty powerful piece, and that's so. That's what I was doing when I found out that I literally, after I would finish that play, I think I was gonna have two weeks to prep to do the feature, and yeah, all kinds of feelings, and just like oh, I don't know if I can do this. I did it before, but I all kinds, all the feelings happen, but mm-hmm. yeah, life changing again, another life changing experience where I got to be on set every single day and tired, but just tired from doing a thing that I love and just to be able to just like completely put my whole self and everything that I maybe experience and could relate to Alike's character in my own way that I've been able to combine it with this story and uh, it just, again, just yeah, life changing
0: Wow um, I was trying to find when I was prepping for the show I was trying to find the speech where Meryl Streep gave you the shout out at the uh, Golden Globes but I can't find it
1: Okay. on
0: YouTube so tell uh, me about it <laughs> take me there sorry <laughs> sorry that's appropriate Meryl Streep shouted
1: me out I feel like I would give you that too oh man so again like my life just like what like a series of just like how did I even get here Mm -hmm. um so at this point um (laughs) film was acquired by Fee Focus Features and uh they had you know it was suggested I should go to LA for the Golden Globes and eventually it was a way was made for me to be there and I was upstairs in the viewing party um at the Golden Globes, and um, and th- that was the year that Viola and Meryl Sheep were like nominated in the same category, and I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know who to root for, I love them both, <laughs> and I was just like, whoever wins, like, you know, it's just going to be, so just sitting there and, you know, just like, I was literally sitting at a table with Dee and my manager, and say, now she won, and you're just like, okay, she's dope, so it's all good. And then, yeah, she gets up there and she's just talking, and then she says my name, and literally everything, it's like the sound went out, and then I felt like mm. I was in a Spike Lee film where I like, I like, like, levitated above <laughs> the space, and like, I can see it. Yeah, like, it just <laughs> went black, and it's like spotlight, and I just like, like, rose up above everyone, and I. And I just remember hearing people like shouting and like, oh my, like, and looking at me, and my phone started to blow up. And and I just was like, I think the first thing I said was like, I think the first thing I said was like, wait, does that mean that she saw the film? (laughs) Oh, you know? And I couldn't believe that somebody who I love so much and respected and like aspired to be like, had seen like it, 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 even now it's just so crazy making. And it's like, I can't even like the like, just imagine like Meryl Streep, like sitting either in her living room or her bedroom or in a theater. Like, it just is crazy. I can't even, I can't. Um, and so, yeah, so my phone started to blow up, and people were just like, What's like, my sister called me, she was like, What's going on? People are calling me, and then, um, yeah, and, and then somebody came up to me and was like, Well, do you want to go meet her? And I was like, <sighs> What? and I, I and at that point I just was like that spirit was spirit was just like moving me because I don't remember how I got left that party and like ended up downstairs where we're looking for her and then and then I see her and then I I, I felt like I was gonna cry and I was like don't cry just keep it together you wear your makeup don't mess your face up and <laughs> And sometimes you need a reminder I like, know okay, girl, it took I was like moment. I was <laughs> like like I literally wanted to like burst out into the ugliest cry like I was just like this is too much like yeah. you know it's, I'm not a person who easily gets like uh, like shocked or like that's Star-struck. not like a yeah like just yeah. like or just like you know I don't know maybe growing up in New York or whatever it's like things happen It's like okay whatever but I just it was just so I got so much and inching my way towards her she was talking with somebody and then and it felt like everything parted and she recognized me when she saw me and I don't even remember what I said to her I just like oh my god and and the one thing that I remember her saying was that it's important to support each other as women Mm -hmm. um and that's like the one Mm -hmm. thing that was very clear and I and I'm sure I hugged her I'm sure I hugged her and somebody took a picture I still I don't know where that picture is I would love to find that picture um yeah someone took a picture and then yeah that was that experience (laughs) wow 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 wow! it was pretty still is pretty crazy yeah beautiful yeah
0: let's skip forward a few years because you um just had a role in another film that's um having such huge um impact on our culture Mm -hmm. when they see us Mm -hmm um about the exonerated 5. I love that renaming mm. of them that Ava's put into the world. Um with the exonerated 5. Mm. Tell me about your journey to that uh film.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ava, I literally just got an offer to play Nomsa Breath one day and that and I and it really was not much to think about. I I knew that I wanted to do it. Um uh it was a no-brainer, and I wanted to do it. There was no audition process. They had you in mind for the role. Yeah. and um, <laughs> Yeah. Amazing, yeah. Um, and I'm thankful to Ava. Um, and I just went in and I did it, and researching.
0: Had you met her before, or was, was she just Ava? familiar with your, your work? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I and met
1: her. Yeah, I mean, Ava's just been super supportive and wonderful. I worked mm-hmm. with her on this uh, Mew Mew um, short that she directed, um, uh some years back, and then, yeah, a few years a few years back, and so she's someone who always like super supportive and just, yeah, and so mm-hmm. she made she made space for me to be a part of it, and I'm super humbled to her and yeah, and I just just dove into as much research as I could find, which was hard um, on known some breath and 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 her husband in Lombay and um, but she gave me a lot of material. On who these people were and how important they were to that, to that um to that case, and how Nomsa was important to the case, but also supporting the mothers, um, of uh of those young men. And um, yeah, it's it's really an example. I was just talking about this other day about, again, like sometimes I think as as artists, for me, I, I'm always questioning, like, the what is this all about like is this actually doing something is there actually like is it just frivolous like should i I, maybe i should be a teacher like this is just it just seems like there's just better ways to quote-unquote contribute you know to life um to the world and what i really you know again like the power because there was a doc that came out a few years ago that i watched that just like devastated me and the thing is is that some people are going to watch docs some people are not going to watch docs you know and and, and now with the way things are, like a, a, th- a platform like Netflix where things are available to people, people got to see this story that didn't know about. Um, they didn't know that this case had happened and it reached many people and and all the things that are happening now because of that, like that because of this piece of work that was created, like, you know, people not having their jobs anymore and even years and years and years later. And again, it's just a reminder of the power of the power of media the power of film the power of telling our stories you know taking the onus and telling our stories and like what you said earlier about like the renaming like like yeah Mm -hmm. we get to like we get to say what's important to us through storytelling and you know through this story and then just changing something up and not and, and it being like exonerated five instead of central park five or whatever um is very important. And it was a good reminder. And and that is an amazing reminder to me that, no, it's not frivolous. If if, if you, if there's stories that you want to tell, that, and it's important, it's, and the world needs that. Mm. And people's voices need to be heard and their stories should be told. Tell
0: me about the um, climate on the set. I've heard um, folks who are involved in it talk about the presence of therapists On set because I don't know. I mean, I remember um, I went to one of the screenings they did at the Apollo of the first two episodes, Mm. Um, and I remember how gutted I felt as an audience member. And the thing is, we had like a a small circle afterwards of folks just kind of debriefing Mm. with each other, Mm. and all of us were like, "We know how the story ends, Mm. (laughs) right? Like we lived it. It's not that it's a surprise, but it's still." such uh i mean we we're just all bereft, only two episodes in, so I can only imagine in the making of it mm. um how do you how do you protect your spirit in the middle of stories
1: like that mm. I think now it's about what I'm very clear about, and I'm thankful that i've I've gotten to do a uh, A few, been a part of projects that has kind of led me to this point but that it really isn't it's not about me and my feelings and me feeling uncomfortable or feeling like I can't do it or it's just like this is crazy or like oh this is so it's like no my job is to is to make myself available because I get to when this is done I get to go home I get to It's not something I have to carry necessarily. It's not something that actually happened to me. But if I'm in this position where I am portraying or being a part of a telling, then I need to make myself fully available to it. And so I, it's like, you know, because there, you know, it's like the certain things that I've done. I mean, it's happened on plays that I've done where I'm just like, the subject matter is just so crazy making and just so intense because it is. And like, it's fucked up or whatever. It's like, it is, you know. But if you stay in that too long, it you cut yourself apart. You know, you get distracted, and and the thing that I, and I'm sure somebody, some great teacher told me this, and I can't remember right now. But it's not about you. It's not about you. Like we're here, we're all here to we're here to tell the story. You know, and I think that 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 was the biggest thing I learned when I did um when I did Twelve Years a Slave. Like, because at one point I just was like, I don't. I, there's nothing in my life that I could relate to being enslaved. There's nothing, and I just remember finding myself, and I was like in Louisiana in these costumes, and I was like, mm. "What the fuck?" Like, and then you're just feeling all this energy, and you're just like, "What the?" You know, and it's at that point that it's just like I remember just thinking to myself, "Just let go and breathe and trust." And all the narratives that you read and everything that you, all the preparation that you did, like at this point, we don't need you to have any tension. We don't need you to fight it. It's not about you. Like, you're portraying somebody who actually lived this. So, get out of the way, breathe, and let come what will come. And so, that just, you know, transferred into um, you know, when they see this. You know, and for me, like, you know, I was worried about like, you know, the people who are playing the mothers and like, Because, you know, I felt like I just was coming in and, but there were people, actors who were there who were just like, I mean, and the actors were playing, you know, the the young, the boys and then the men. I mean, Mm -hmm. so I just, I was just like, I, for me, I just felt like I'm just humbled to just be here and like, you know, just be here. Because I know every there are a lot of other people who had to really like do some like sustained, just, um, sustained Opening to these stories um,
0: yeah, I love that my job is to make myself available
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I've also noticed that you return to this idea of of being led and, and intuition mm. as you've talked about mm. you know the the arc of your career so mm. far
1: mm. it's a big thing that, that 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 gut thing has been has been pretty poignant and profound and many on many ways. Like what kind of work that I want to do, like listening to that thing of like I I'm not interested in that, but I'm interested in that or making myself available and like it it's all, you know, part and parcel. Um just to just to do I don't know, to just do the most honest work that one can do or that I can do. Um it definitely is like that I definitely have to tap into like that <laughs> that gut, spiritual, just be led and let go because just certain things you just, that you can't control and should not be controlled. Um, you know, because I've seen work where it felt like it was held or controlled and it just, there was like walls and that's not what I, that's not something I want to do.
0: That's like the, the perfect segue to talk about Janina Simone mm-hmm. to be free because it makes me think about that, um, that clip that circulated so widely of, Um, her talking about what it meant for her to to be free Mm. of fear
1: Mm. Um, no fear yeah,
0: no fear Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah I mean yeah you know I think for me it's like it's just like no fear or like not letting fear paralyze you you know to move in spite of fear that's the thing that I've kind of I've kind of come to, and when I got to a point where I, I had to, like again, there was I couldn't run away from. I'd always wanted to do something regarding Nina Simone, and and I got to a point where I, I couldn't run away. I couldn't. I couldn't not do it anymore. Like it was like screaming at me at this point, and my spirit, or the spirit, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, when I saw that clip, I, I thought the thing that was. So I was just trying to figure out what, okay, what's the, what, what is it that I, okay, I want to do something, what is a thing? And when I saw that clip, again, I was, uh, I was struck by the fact that there's this woman who, who was out there, was performing, who was big and bold and was giving of so much that was so real and deep and that the only f- the few times in her life that she's felt free, that first of all, that she's only felt free a few times in her life, and that those times were on stage. Mm. And I just thought, what would it be like to just, to just explore a moment of freedom for her on stage that is in connection with a room full of black people? so that's like a an exchange it's not it's like the reason why she's able to have this moment of freedom is because she's in a room of already freely expressed black people you know so it's like she's taking in that energy and then that energy is what's allowing her to like it's like a yeah um and it's like music and dancing and people and yeah and what what is that what is that kind of like that mix um because it's like it's 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 not an isolating thing, you know. We're not we're here alone, but we're not here alone, you know. And uh, yeah, and and then I was inspired by a Maya Angelou uh, interview that she did about Nina Simone, at, like a red book interview. And I'm gonna butcher the quote, but the quote was like, she took in the she took in the light of the audience and like threw it back out in like pulsating rays, and then that was. and and I'm butchering it but it's um, but yeah so it's like that she takes it in and then she like transmutes it and puts it out she's able to express it in her own way yeah and for me that was yeah and that's and then To Be Free came from that
0: and you circled back to um, work with Bradford
1: yes 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 yeah he was the only person like I was like Brad is the only person who could could take what I feel and see and really make it into something. Yeah. That's one
0: of the things that I've enjoyed talking to, to people about on this podcast um, is the kinds of communities that we're building with each other, mm. the way that making home in New York has, has facilitated that. Mm. Um, what does it mean to you to be an artist living and working in New York? How is mm. the city impacting your practice?
1: I think I, I what's so great about New York is that it doesn't, and I don't know how people do it in other cities, like, for example, L.A. And, but in New York, it's like their moments. When I was younger, when I was broke, when I was struggling. And there was always, like, this. it was conducive to, like, that creative energy. Even if I wasn't doing something creative, but just the fact that I would walk down the street and I would be surrounded by people. Just the fact that I would sit in a subway, like, around people. And without a doubt, without fail... I might see something or somebody might randomly say something to me like out of the blue maybe strike up a conversation and it just would remind me about okay like all right it would like inject me with the energy that I needed and just like looking up and seeing the buildings or like doing free things like you know oh maybe somebody gave you a paper for a free screening to like girl fight you know I think that happened to me and I got to see girlfriend I was like my mind was blown it was like New York it's that thing and like it doesn't take much to, like, get people together and, like, okay, let's put together a variety show. You know what I mean? Like, because it's a big city, but it's also, like, kind of, like, compact in many ways. And, you know, there's, like, just that, 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 that hustle, that, like, taking the train, like, that rush hour hustle. It's, like, it's conducive to, like, it's, like, get things done. Like, what do you want to do? Like, just do it. And, and if you feel like you don't have the energy to do it, at some point somewhere you will be surrounded by something that gives you that energy, that, that inspiration to like, okay, to get back in it. You might fall down, but you're like, all right, I'm going to get back up and, you know, just, or just like going to the library and like there's like a performing arts library where it's like a plethora. It's like, if I didn't have money or whatever, I would go there and I would just sit and I would read books. I would read monologues. I would, you know, and, and that for me is what New York is. It's like the opportunities to do that, you know? And, um, you know, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take a lot to like just, hey guys, you want to go out and like meet, meet up somewhere like, you know, just hang out or just talk shop or, and like now, like what's happening just in terms of like festivals and like, just so many opportunities to just like congregate and like talk and meet and, it's so invaluable. Like, I I'm so thankful that I live in New York and that I like went through and my journey was in New York um and I met such amazing artists here that's inspiring me to no end um is because I'm able to come in contact with that fairly I don't know if easy is the word but it's not like a a stretch to like you know if I yeah I, I I can walk and I can be or I can go to an event and without fail I'll I'll, I'll be oh my god like all these amazing people and then Connect and then it's like okay, like things can happen from that. So, yeah, when I say I love New York, I really, really, really do. Yeah,
0: thank you, sis.
1: Thank you so much. This for is really me. good. Thank you. So- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us on iTunes. It helps others discover this show. You can also follow us on the socials at Lineage Podcast. And visit LineagePodcast.com for information about live events, to see portraits I've made of our guests, and to become a patron of this broadcast. For more from me, head on over to ShaniJamila.com. The inaugural season of Lineage is brought to you by the generosity of our campaign supporters, with special thanks to our Founders Circle. Amika Carter, Vera Grant, Luanda Hodges, Ayana Minor, Wendell and Helen O'Neill, Romani Rogers, Jemmy and Lee Sutton, Chantal Vera, Stacey Burton White, and the BK Fam. Graphic design by Tony Moore Images. Original music composed by Cody Got Beats.